from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, thanks for tuning in for this Monday edition of Washington Watch. This week we're broadcasting from First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, which is host of the Pray Vote Stand Summit that begins this Wednesday evening and will go through Friday night. Again, we're here at First Baptist Church in Atlanta. There's still time to register. Go to prayvotestand.org slash summit. I'll have more information on how you can be a part of this year's summit when we talk with Kathy Grace Duncan, Director of Gender Advocacy Changed Movement, one of this year's summit speakers. She joins me a little bit later here on Washington Watch. But first, Vice President Kamala Harris was on Meet the Press this weekend attacking the Supreme Court for overturning its 1973 decision in Roe v. Wade. The United States Supreme Court in the Dobbs decision just took a constitutional right that had been recognized from the women of America, from the people of America. Well, how does that relate to the midterms? How does that relate to the midterms and to the next Congress? Now, this is a right that the court created. But now it's a problem when they realize they made a mistake. We'll talk about it with North Carolina Congressman Dan Bishop a little later here on Washington Watch. Increasingly, we see the president, his administration, and the left in general throwing around loaded terms, which are clearly designed to be like verbal grenades, Christian nationalist, MAGA, Republicans, and even fascist. But can they define those terms? What is a semi-fascist? Listen, I think that um, when we let's not get caught up in 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 politicizing the fact that most people in America know that it is not helpful to our country when we have people who are denying elections or trying to obstruct the outcome of an election where the largest number of people in our country voted for the president of the United States. That was uh, Meet the Press, Meet the Press's uh, Chuck Todd asking the vice president to define the terms that they're using. As you notice, she didn't do it. We're going to talk about it a little bit later. On Thursday of last week, the mayor of D.C., Marielle Bowser, was complaining that the District of Columbia has become a border city with the influx of illegal immigrants. Today I'm providing a situational update on the ongoing uh, humanitarian crisis that's taking place in our city uh, as a result of the actions of of the governors of Texas and Arizona. Now, now, now wait a minute. That, That can't be true. There cannot be a crisis because the vice president said the border is secure. We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. Hmm, something doesn't add up, and we're going to talk about it. And in another blatant example of the left gaslighting America, the number of voters who voted in this year's primary elections reveal that the election reform measures that the left claimed were designed to suppress voter turnout actually increased over 2018. Could it be, could it be, that confidence in the election process actually encourages people to vote? Well, we're going to talk about that with Jason Sneed, Executive Director of Honest Elections. 
a little later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you, as well as contact information for our guest. The word for today comes from Proverbs chapter 25. It's verse 11, and it reads as follows. A word spoken at the right time is like gold apples in silver settings. You see, our words can be of great value, creating a picture of great worth. But just as an artist or a craftsman is intentional in their design, so too must we be intentional with our words. Like the complementary setting of silver, do our words match the occasion? Do our words add to and build up, or are they extraneous? And even worse than that, do they devalue or diminish the values of others? Our words, which we have complete control over, are powerful. Our words can build up, and they can create worth, or they can tear down and destroy. James writes about this in the New Testament. He says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. So let's give careful thought and consideration to the timing and the content of what we say. All right, yesterday on the 21st anniversary of the 9-11 terrorist attacks in which almost 3,000 Americans were killed, the vice president appeared on Meet the Press. And quite frankly, it was kind of stunning what she had to say. She claimed that January 6th was very similar to 9-11, She claimed that our chaotic southern border is secure, made clear that if the Democrats can pick up two seats in the Senate in the midterm election, the filibuster will be gone for select issues like abortion and the federal takeover of elections. With me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Dan Bishop, who is a member of the House Judiciary Committee and a member of the Homeland Security Committee. He represents the 9th Congressional District of North Carolina. Congressman Bishop, welcome back to the program. Tony, I'm happy to be with you today. It's always good to see you. Now, I know you have been, I've been very clear about denouncing the violence of January 6th, but to say that the threat that is within us is comparable to September the 11th, when almost 3,000 Americans were murdered. I mean, people jumping from buildings to avoid burning to death, to compare the two especially by the vice president of the United States on the anniversary of this attack is frankly is stunning. Your reaction. Well, Tony, let me address both parts of your, of your comment that when, when she says that, uh, uh, that there's, uh, there are people who in the Republican party, high officials who've never condemned the violence of January 6th, that's simply a lie. That's so she, she, she has this habit of sort of doing what you did in ninth grade when you hadn't prepared for your homework. You, on the one hand, you just keep talking. And on the other hand, you gaslight. And that's what she's doing. She's gaslighting. And, and as you then say, if that weren't bad enough to tell a flat lie, uh, she then uh, goes out and makes a, an equivalence to, um, uh, to uh, 9-11 uh, of, uh, that is just astonishing. And what a gross insult to those first responders who gave their lives uh, on that horrible day, and to and the insult to half of the country to essentially equate them with the uh, terrorists who attacked in uh, the and tore down the World Trade Center in the pandemic, you know, attacked the Pentagon. It's just simply astonishing. Is this the person that the Democrats are going to run in twenty twenty four? Well, it, it's I like your term gaslighting. It's a, it's a term that's been used a lot, and, and, and it is what is happening. It's them claiming we're doing exactly what they're doing. I want to go back, and I want to play a clip 
from the summer of 2020, when cities were smoldering, still burning, uh, government facilities like courthouses under siege in Portland. And this is what the vice president had to say. She wasn't vice president at the time, but was asked about this violence. Play clip number 12. I always am going to interpret these protests as an essential component of evolution in our country, as an essential component or mark of a real democracy. Uh, double standard? Can, can, can we say double standard? <laughs> she always adopts this tone of great gravity and seriousness and then says the most absurd things. As you say, there is no standard which, and unfortunately, Chuck Todd plays into this by asking about whether we face, or well, asserting in his question that we face a threat from within, adopting the theme of President Biden from his red speech, but there, it never occur, occurs to them to test their own actions or the actions of their own side by the, the criticisms they're making of Republicans and of the another half of the country. It is no way to build unity. And what they apparently mean when they fret about our democracy is they fret about democratic power, and that's all they're concerned about. I, I want to go to the issue of abortion, the Supreme Court, the Dobbs decision. I want to play uh, clip number six and get your reaction to this. The United States Supreme Court in the Dobbs decision just took a constitutional right that had been recognized from the women of America, from the people of America. Well, how does that relate to the midterms? Our president has said he will not let the filibuster get in the way if the Senate, through a majority vote, votes to pass the Women's Health Protection Act, he will sign it into law. You know what that means? In the midterms, we need to hold on to the Senate and get two more. And then we can put into law the protections of Roe v. Wade. Everything is on the line when you think about the millions of women and people in America who care about them, who understand the significance of protecting a woman's right to make decisions about her own body. All right. There's so much in that statement. First off, what the court created, the court took away. I mean, the court created there was no constitution, right? The court created this and 49 years later realized there was no foundation for that right that was created. She doesn't say anything about that. But she also underscores, Dan, the importance of this midterm election. Speak to that. She she characterizes this Supreme Court as activist. That was how she began the comments immediately before that clip. Right, right. An activist court is one that creates a right or a, a restriction on government out of whole cloth, out of no language in the Constitution. And the court very ser seriously undertook that analysis and did the right thing. She just attacks it because it's not what she desires to be the political result. And she immediately goes, these are the Democrats. This is Kamala Harris, who is talking about the Republicans being dangerously extreme. But her immediate path is, unless there's abortion is permitted until the moment of birth, they're prepared to end the filibuster in the Senate, which has been in place for the country's entire existence. And, and, and of course, the attacks on the Supreme Court has been, have been forthcoming from Democrats, including Kamala Harris, and they say that it should turn the election. They want to turn the, uh, the Supreme Court into a, a partisan playground. And they've talked about expanding the court. That, of course, is proposals from Jerry Nadler and others in the Congress on, who are Democrats. They ch accuse Republicans of what they 
are doing. So the, the current concern for them, Congressman Bishop, is that the court is no longer advancing the policies that they want. So now they're against a court that is tied to the Constitution, and that's what they're upset about. It, 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 it is all, you know, they, they've gotten accustomed to the war in court judicial activism. They could put liberals on the court to give them liberal policy when they cannot elect sufficient numbers of liberals to the Congress to to make that policy. If, you know, if we can't have any agreement on anything, we ought to be able to agree the fact that a court is to apply law. The court is not to make law. But again, that's not where they are. And they are uh, terribly upset that they've lost the ability to manipulate justice in that way and to substitute justice for electoral politics. But, you know, I, I don't I think she's not their greatest salesman. Uh, and uh, if, if she's got to uh, be the, you know, they say when you're explaining, you're losing. Well, when Kamala is making the explanations, it's an absolute disaster. Well, why do you think we're playing clips of her? That's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly why. <laughs> and there's more on the other side of this break. Dan Bishop's going to stay with us. And we're going to talk about what limits might the Biden administration put on abortion. Is there a limit? Is it at the point of pain? Is it the day before birth? Is it the day after birth? Will they draw a line at which they will accept restrictions on the taking of the life of the unborn. We're going to talk about that next. Also, the border. According to the vice president, it is secure. But is it? We're going to talk about that. And then still to come later in the program, we're going to talk about elections and whether or not these reform measures are suppressing turnout or increasing it. All that and more on this edition of Washington Watch. Don't go away. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, We are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that first by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with the prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. As I mentioned at the top of the program, we're broadcasting live from First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, which is the site of this year's Pray Vote Stand Summit coming up Wednesday evening, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Great lineup of speakers. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, But I want to continue my conversation with Congressman Dan Bishop of North Carolina. He serves on the House Judiciary Committee and the Homeland Security Committee. He is the uh, congressman for the 9th Congressional District of North Carolina. All right, Dan, I want to turn to uh, a question that uh, Todd asked the vice president regarding something that's, you know, I think very relevant. We, uh, you know, abortion, now the Democrats running with that in the wake of the Dobbs decision. And quite frankly, I think too many Republicans are on the defensive. I think we need to be very clear. I mean, my position has always been I believe in the sanctity of life from the moment of conception on, and I'm going to work for policy that will get us closer to that, uh, whether that's at the point of, a, of an unborn child feeling pain, whether it's when the heartbeat starts, whatever that is, I'm going to move toward that. And, and so some of our Republican candidates are on the defensive, but I think we need to ask the question that Todd asked Kamala Harris. Let's play clip number nine. Do you believe their government should put any limit on abortion? I believe government should not be telling women what to do with their bodies. I believe government should not be telling women how to plan their families. I believe government should not be criminalizing health care providers. I believe government should not be saying no exception for rape or incest as a prosecutor, former prosecutor who specialized in child sexual assault cases, understanding the violence that occurs against women and children, and then to further subject them to those kind of inhumane conditions. That's what I believe. So, Congressman Dan Bishop, did she answer the question? (laughs) What she answered is that she cannot think of any uh, limitation, uh, any basis for compromise, any concession whatsoever. Abortion, at least until birth. That's been that's her position. And she says, again, she's the you know, it's the it's the extremists on the other side. You articulated, as you said, and I agree that life uh, begins at conception. And I believe that uh, Life should be protected from conception. But I also have always said that I would make compromises to the point that we could form a policy that would be more humane, some of the ones that you suggested. So we've articulated that, Tony. Why is it that Democrats never have any concession to offer and believe that we should have a more extreme 
abortion policy even than Roe laid out. So yeah, and, and, uh, I, I just and, don't and think he's a, making a good point. And that's a good point that you just made there, because I want to underscore that when she made reference earlier to the Women's uh, Health Act, I think I may have misnamed it. That's never can. Their names are always deceptive, but their abortion <laughs> bill yeah. that they say would codify right. Roe, it goes further than Roe, doesn't it? That's right. It certainly does. And, and, and Tony, you know, people are talking about bipartisanship. She, she, she despaired the lack of bipartisanship. Well, I watched in the House, 218 Democrats uh, co-sponsored that. Uh, only about only a, a couple of them uh, failed to vote in favor of it, uh, maybe one. So there's no there's and, and that, again, it goes goes farther than Roe. It goes until it, it says the law uh, it will allow no no restriction whatsoever on an abortion so long as the pregnancy is ongoing. If it's if the baby is inches inside the birth canal, you can still abort according to them. No no restriction. That's that's the picture of extreme, the epitome of extreme. And it this would erase the state advances that have been made over the last four decades to protect the sanctity of human life, including laws such as parental notification. Uh, the ultrasound laws that are in place. So this is an extreme piece of legislation that they are pushing, that she was very clear in an earlier clip that I played, that if they can gain two seats in the Senate, they will eliminate the filibuster in order for Joe Biden to sign this into law. That's what we're talking about, in part being at stake in this midterm election. One extreme feeding the other. That's what. That's right. They pile them on top of each other. Uh, there's nothing that they seem to be unwilling to do. And then she criticizes as extreme. She, she characterizes Republicans who, in various states, passed laws to make it e- easier even to vote than it was before and merely require clear identification of the voter as being horrific extreme anti-voter legislation. And that's the other exception she would make, she says, to the filibuster, she and Joe Biden, is they would pass law that would revolutionize our elections and center all the power in Washington and ban voter ID. Those are the moderate, reasonable Democrats. I I, I don't want to play the clip again because we don't have much time, but I played it earlier where she said the southern border is is secure. There's no problem at the border. But if I'm listening to the mayor of D.C., she says she's got a humanitarian crisis because there's a few buses coming in from Texas and Arizona dropping off the illegal immigrants that are coming across the border. So what is it? Do we have a crisis or not? What a great juxtaposition of those two clips. Uh, yes, we have a crisis because uh, President Biden has destroyed the enforcement of American immigration law. What does she think? And she says the whole problem is that Republicans are playing politics, playing political gamesmanship, and that the problem is we haven't said there's a path to citizenship for all four million who've come in under uh, Biden's watch who are now flooding D.C. Or well, it's not even a flood. You want to see the flood go down to Texas. But a handful in relative handful in New York and D.C., those uh, officials there recognize puts enormous strain on resources and causes problems. It is a crisis. It is one of the Biden administration's making. We could have, we, Donald Trump had solved border security largely. Yeah. We could be uh, continuing that. Instead, we've gone another path. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Congressman Dan Bishop, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on this uh, Monday afternoon. Thank you, Tony. 
All right. Congressman Dan Bishop of North Carolina. He, in, every day he's on Capitol Hill fighting for the things that uh, you and I care about. And by the way, he's absolutely right. I've mentioned this before, but I was on the border twice, once before the president, former president, President Trump, got his policy in place, remain in Mexico. The second time I went, it was like a ghost town because his policy was working. It was working. Policy matters. Elections matter. All right, coming up next at the Prevote Stand Summit, we're going to be tackling some of the issues that others don't want to. And one of the issues is the issue of transgenderism and how that ideology is being pushed on our children and the damage that it does. One of our speakers that will be with us this week joins me next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. A lot more to come. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm coming to you today from the First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, which is the site of this week's Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. We begin Wednesday evening. To find out more about how you can be a part of the summit, go to prayvotestand.org slash summit. Our next guest will be joining us this week here in Atlanta. She has a powerful testimony of turning to God for help to pull her from the depths of the transgender movement. Joining me now is Kathy Grace Duncan, Director of Gender Advocacy at Changed Movement. Kathy Grace, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much. 
You know, Kathy, this issue, Kathy Grace, this issue has become such a prevalent issue, and we're seeing, you know, record numbers of young people being kind of really sucked into this vortex of gender confusion. But the the issue here that we have now is that they're taking steps that are radically altering their own bodies that many, they can't undo it. And, and I'm looking forward to uh, to having you here later this week. Give us because you know all about this, give us a preview of what you plan to address while you're here. Sure. So um, I'll be on a panel called Loving People Affected by Transgender Ideology from Beginning to End. And um, I'll actually be giving my testimony about living as a man for 11 years and then the Lord pulling me out of that. And the things I learned as far as what lied beneath, you know, what... What was it that took me into the lifestyle? Obviously, God brought me out, but in that bringing out and the healing process, what it was that I learned about the lies that I believed, about the the deception that I took in, hook, line, and sinker. Uh, I learned about who I really was and how God really created me intentionally on purpose for a purpose. So I'll be talking about that um, on this panel while I'm there. So, Kathy Grace, are there ways that that parents and, and others who, you know, see the the intensity of this battle surrounding our children, trying to really kind of draw them into this, are there steps that parents can take to to protect and fortify their children and, and, and keep them safe from this agenda? Yes, absolutely. Uh, one of them is really important, and that's looking at where on the social media platforms, where are your children growing? Are they on Tumblr? Are they on Reddit? Are they on TikTok, Facebook? There's groups on there that promote the ideology. And so it's looking at um, where they're going and then, um, you know, prohibiting them from going there. And it's also talking to them because really um, the whole transgender movement is really not about sex. It's not a sexual issue. I know it's treated as that, but it's really, uh, it's a relational issue and there's brokenness that's underneath and there's mm-hmm. lies they believed about who they are. And it's helping them to understand that and, and finding the appropriate mental health um, help for that. Yeah, that, that's so important. In fact, that's going to be a focus uh, of ours this week. And we've been in preparation for that, knowing that there will be some, whether they're watching online or whether they're here that are struggling with this. And we're going to have people praying. Uh, you know, we believe, you know, God, just as he delivered you and brought you out and have given you a tremendous ministry now, that is the God that we serve, a gracious, forgiving, loving God who says all things are new in Christ Jesus. Right. I, I want to ask you this, Kathy Grace. You know, we're just having this conversation, but there are some who don't want us to have this conversation. They don't want to, they don't want what's going to happen here this week with those that have come out of this movement to speak to the pitfalls of it, the tragedy of it, the pain of it, and how it can be avoided. They don't want that to take place. Why? Well, because it exposes stuff. And then it also exposes the harm that's done you know, to these kids, and it exposes the long-lasting results or side effects, long-lasting harm that it can do, and it shows the ideology, the falseness of it, 
and that, you know, we need to be pulling these kids out. And I think there will be a lot of counselors that are doing the gender affirming therapy that will be put out of business where they should be, you know, gender affirming as far as who they are biologically and figuring out why do they believe they need to be the opposite sex. I think we'll see an industry come down. Final question for you, Kathy Grayson, and looking forward to having you here at the summit. But this is a ministry in part that you do focusing on helping young people. How are how are young people responding to this message? Well, it depends. If the Lord has got a hold of them, then they are more than willing to come out of that lifestyle to look at what are those underlying issues that I'm dealing with? What is what is the pain? that's driving that. And then there's the other side that hates us and calls us bigots. And, you know, we have this transphobic idea about them. So you have the people who love you, who want to come out and deal with everything. And then you have those that hate you and they hate you with this. It's almost rage that they hate you with because, you know, they're so sold out to the deception. They don't know that what they're doing is wrong. And we're saying, well, there's a different way. And they just can't embrace it for whatever reason. Well, Kathy Grace, we're out of time. We're up against a break. Looking forward to having you here. I just I I find it fascinating that they would call you a bigot, a, a trans phobia, you know, a person that, I mean, you've come out, you've seen it, you've experienced all of this, and you're speaking not out of a position, you have nothing to gain by this. You're simply doing it to try to help others avoid what you experience. And and for one, and I know I'm not alone, but we appreciate your courage and your boldness. Look forward to seeing you here in Atlanta. Thank you so much. All right, Kathy Grace Duncan, you can hear more from her this week here at the Pray Vote Stand Summit. All right, coming up, you've heard the ear-mongering that voter suppression is taking place. Well, is it really? Uh, the, the laws changing our election, making them more secure, has a different effect. We'll talk about it. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. 
with just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this Monday. This is the week of the Pray Boat Stand Summit. As I mentioned earlier, we're broadcasting from First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, which is the host of this year's Pray Boat Stand Summit. Summit begins Wednesday evening, and uh, we've got a great lineup of, uh, of speakers. Now, this is a little different than, you know, this is not a political rally. The, the three words that define what we're doing is in the title, Pray, Vote, Stand. We're here to pray for our nation. We're in trouble, folks. And we need to gather together to encourage one another and pray. We need to know how to vote, and we need to be committed to voting our biblical values. And then we need to be prepared to stand for truth regardless, regardless of what the media says, regardless of what government officials say. We need to be committed. But to to be committed, we have to understand the truth and be equipped with the truth. And that's what we're doing here at the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. We've got Dr. George Barna is going to be here, David Barton with Wall Builders. Well, of course, uh, General Jerry Boykin will be here, former Ambassador Large for International Religious Freedom, Sam Brownback, Andrew Brunson, who was the pastor who was held in Turkey. We have Dr. Ben Carson, former HUD Secretary, uh, Pastor Carter Conlon from Times Square Church, Mike Huckabee, who I was with this past Saturday night on his show, uh, he'll be with us. Jensen Franklin, senior pastor of Free Chapel. Governor Brian Kemp will be here. Senator James Langford, David Limbaugh, best-selling author and syndicated columnist. Ann Graham Lotz will be with us. Melissa Oden, Dr. Al Moeller, uh, Governor Kevin Stitt of uh, Oklahoma will be here. Ali Beth Stuckey uh, and, and many more uh, will be here. Ralph Reed will be with us. So Find out how you can be a part of it. Go to prayvotestand.org slash summit. There's still time to register and to be a part of this year's Pray Vote Stand Summit. All right, since 2020 and the election when there were a lot of, let me put it this way, irregularities, people were concerned. And so state legislatures began to go back and look at where there were problems and they began to revise voting laws to make sure 
to make sure that elections had integrity. Well, well, now the left, they went into overdrive with their hand-wringing and their fear-mongering, saying that this was all about voter suppression. In fact, this is what President Biden had to say in July of 2021. They want to make it so hard and inconvenient that they hope people don't vote at all. That's what this is about. This year alone, 17 states have enacted, not just proposed, but enacted 28 new laws to make it harder for Americans to vote. Now, I know that this probably won't come as a surprise to many of you, but that's not true. What was going on is it was not making it harder to vote. Actually, it was making it easier to vote, just harder to cheat. And I think that's what had the left so upset because there's now data out that makes very clear that these states like Arizona and Georgia, where I'm at right now, Texas and Florida and Iowa, that were criticized because they're red states, they were criticized saying that they were trying to suppress voters. Well, the data is in. And guess what? The fear-mongering was just that. It appears now that in these primary elections, voter turnout actually increased. Here to talk about this is Jason Sneed. He's the executive director of Honest Elections. Jason, welcome back to Washington Watch. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me. So it does appear that all of this hand-wringing and fear-mongering that's been taking place on the left, even as late as yesterday with the the vice president on Meet the Press, that it's simply not true. Well, that's right. We've known, of course, for a while that claims of voter suppression are wrong factually and that there is a narrative that has has taken almost mythical proportions on the left that America is awash in voter suppression laws. And we've known, as I said, for quite some time that the facts actually bear out a very different truth. If you look at states going back more than a decade that have adopted election integrity laws like voter ID, you typically see turnout improve in subsequent elections. And that's a pattern that we've seen just this year as states like Florida and Georgia and Texas that passed election integrity laws that were smeared as Jim Crow voter suppression last year have actually had elections this year and turnout in some cases has exploded. So the claim that the states are passing laws that are making it harder or trying to restrict to the vote are just absolutely false. But once again, the left has a narrative and they are not going to let it go. So, Jason, uh, uh, could that, and I know you guys are, you track this, this is what you do, you look at this, could it be that voters are saying, hey, my vote, I have a greater level of confidence that this vote is going to count, and so I'm going to vote. Does that not increase voter confidence and with that confidence, voter activity and participation? I certainly think so. In fact, if you look at surveys of people who don't vote, don't participate in our democracy, the reasons that they give have nothing to do with the fact that it's difficult to vote. In fact, they overwhelmingly say it's very easy to vote in America. That's something that you continuously hear from voters and non-voters alike. The reasons that these folks don't participate is because they think their vote doesn't matter. In some cases, they think the system is rigged against them for various reasons. So giving voters confidence is actually the best way to encourage people who aren't likely to participate to turn out and vote in our elections. 
elections. And if you believe, as the left says it does, that democracy is sacrosanct, that we need to protect it, and that we want to encourage people to participate, then we should absolutely be looking at every possible way to give voters confidence in the process and in the results of our elections. That means having safeguards in place like voter ID that help to make it, as you said earlier, not only easy to vote, but also hard to cheat. And that's also why we see, and I think that this is very common sense, that overwhelmingly Americans agree with that and think that we should have safeguards. Elections are worth protecting, and that's why laws like voter ID see up to 84% support when you look at polling. And Jason, you're going to be here this week at the Pray Vote Stand Summit talking just about this because elections are important. It is the mechanism by which, uh, as as Christians, as we are salt and light in part in the public realm, we, we've got to vote. We've got to vote our values. And having a system that has integrity that we know that we can count on is very important. And I want you to speak for a moment to the the state that I'm in right now, this, here the state of Georgia, where there's a lot of issues took place in the 2020 election, but they've also been at the forefront of election reform. How confident are you at present in the Georgia system uh, of elections that's currently in place? I think that uh, election reform in Georgia has been fantastic and that so many of the policies that were passed by the legislature last year have done yeoman's work in improving the process and strengthening the safeguards and ultimately bringing greater degrees of transparency, accountability, and integrity to voting. And I think you saw that in the primaries this year where turnout exploded. Uh, more people were able to participate in the process. You had additional safeguards like voter identification laws for mail-in ballots in place and no significant issues either with the mail-in or the in-person voting experience reported statewide. What the Georgia legislature did last year deserves our, uh, our plaudits because they not only did the right thing by passing a comprehensive set of reforms that dealt with real problems, but they also took an enormous amount of heat for it. Let's not forget that this was a, a state where boycotts were organized. Stacey Abrams, for instance, went out of her way to suggest that corporations should withdraw from the state of Georgia. Major League Baseball pulled the All-Star game and $100 million worth of revenue from a majority black city and put it in a majority white city to somehow make a claim about how this law was going to suppress the votes of minority voters. It was absurd. And as you pointed out earlier, we have seen that the facts did not bear out the concerns of the left, in fact, quite the opposite. So I'm very confident in the process that exists in Georgia today, but I always, always make the case that more needs to be done. There is no such thing as a one-and-done fix when we're talking about improving right. elections. The reality is that we need to continue to see engagement from our lawmakers because there are many, many more ways that we can enhance and improve the election process and continue to make it easier to vote and harder to cheat. Well, I mean, this is so fundamental to our republic that we have to be constantly vigilant because those that want to game the system, manipulate it, will look for new ways. And so it's, it is constantly being on guard to make sure that the system has integrity. And as you say, it's, it's easy to vote and hard to cheat. But I want to put a little context on this so people will know just how significant the voter change was here in Georgia. The turnout for the May primary here in the Peach State hit a record high with about 850,000 ballots. That was a 168 percent increase from the 200, 
2018 primary. So obviously, this was not a case of voter suppression. Well, that's absolutely right. In fact, if you look at the turnout for Republican and Democratic primary voters, it was about a 100 percent increase for Republican turnout in 2018. And it was a 30 point increase for Democrats, which is considerable, given the fact that Stacey Abrams was running uncontested this year and she was very much contested in 2018. So in an uncontested Democratic primary, turnout was also through the roof. And to make the point uh, just absolutely plain that there are are absolutely no legs to this voter suppression myth. On Election Day in Georgia, when asked about Stacey Abrams' position on the high turnout that she was, uh, that we were seeing under the law that she had framed as voter suppression, she said that turnout has nothing to do with voter suppression, which I translate as facts don't matter, and there is absolutely no second-guessing the narrative, the myth of voter suppression. We need to look to the facts always. And once again, the facts continue to tell us that these laws are doing a great deal to improve voters' confidence in the system and are doing absolutely nothing to make it harder to vote or to prevent anyone from casting a ballot. Well, Jason, I I want to put forth what I think is an example of voter suppression. And it was uh, President Joe Biden's speech the uh, in Philadelphia on the steps of uh, Independence Hall that uh, looked like the set from a B-grade Batman movie in which he basically called everyone who opposed him various names. Uh, in, In fact, I think that whole speech was about suppressing conservative vote by marginalizing them, calling them MAGA Republicans, uh, equating them to f- with fascists. I think that was intimidating voters, conservative voters, trying to get them to back up from the conservative agenda that the Republicans have been advancing. Well, that is absolutely not something new for this administration or for the progressive left in general. What we saw beginning with Georgia in 2021, but continuing through every state that passed the laws we've been talking about, was a concerted attempt to scare the states away from engaging in election reform. It was smear campaigns. There were name-calling. There were there were targeted uh, doxing of particular lawmakers. Some lawmakers in Georgia lost their jobs for supporting the legislation that ultimately passed the uh, state legislature in Georgia. And what we've seen since is the president has made numerous speeches. He went down to Atlanta last year and to Philadelphia. And of course, he just went to Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago trying to politicize democracy itself. As he frames the argument, if you aren't voting for Democrats, then you are a semi-fascist. And I think that is incredibly dangerous for the future health of our republic to make it as though you can only support democracy if you are voting for one party. I have yet to find anyone who can tell me a successful democracy that is also a one-party state. But that is unfortunately what a lot of the rhetoric on the left seems to suggest that progressives think of democracy as being. So I'm incredibly disheartened. It is so irresponsible to see a sitting president do this. But of course, this is also the same president who just about eight months ago preemptively discredited the 2022 elections at a time when he was politically underwater and expected to lose control of of Congress because they weren't able to pass a partisan federal takeover of elections and rewrite our election rules. 
So the left is very much in a position where they are willing to try to use these election integrity laws as a scapegoat for potential losses. And in other words, put the legitimacy of election into the context of whether or not they win or lose. And I think, as I said, that is just an incredibly dangerous place to be for our democracy to suggest that elections are only legitimate if you win them. And Jason, I have the prescription for that, the antidote, and that is pray, vote, stand, which is exactly what we're doing here in Georgia this week. You're going to be a part of that and uh, look forward to having you here. Thanks so much for joining us today. See you here in Atlanta later in the week. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. All right, folks, Jason Sneed, he'll be here. Be, I, I, that's going to be a great panel uh, discussion on elections because you're not hearing the good stuff, okay, because they want you to be discouraged. They want you to think that your vote won't count, and that's very important that we're praying, that we're voting, and that we are standing for the truth no matter what. And you just, just quit listening to them. You know, turn off the legacy media and, you know, we need to turn off the TV and turn to the Bible and, and, and be absorbed in the truth. Of course, you can turn on Washington Watch. You can listen to that. I'll give you a break. All right. Be tracking with the Pray Vote Stand Summit coming up this week. There's still time to register. Go to prayvotestand.org slash summit. Find out how you can be a part of it. And we're going to have speakers every day here on Washington Watch from the summit. So be sure and listen and invite a friend to tune in as well for a source of information from a biblical perspective. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.